Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm excited about our summer learning theme. Yes. Um, Do you want to tell everyone what it is in case they haven't heard? Sure. So JCPL's summer learning theme is a universe of stories, which sort of loosely translates to stuff about space. (laughs) And uh, so here on the podcast today, we decided we might talk about the Wayfarer series by Becky Chambers, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a unique series. And we've talked about it before on the podcast, but we wanted to dive a little deeper into it. So um, what did you think about the way we've talked about it before? And I know that you've enjoyed it in the past, but... Yeah, um, well, I'm, I started listening to it on audio because of your recommendation, um, and I really enjoyed both of the first books in the series. Um, I think the second book so far has been my favorite, um, A Closed a closed in Common Orbit. Yep. Um, I recently read the third one in the series, a record of a spaceborn few. Um, mm-hmm. We did not have it available on audio, so I read it, um, and I had a. I really struggled to get through it, unfortunately. I'm, I can't say I'm surprised. I've heard from a lot of people that it is slow to come together, and then you kind of have to be really into it at that point. But I can imagine going from audio, which the narrator for the first two is just great. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to the third one because I haven't listened to it, but I can imagine going from audio to print would be really difficult, especially with an entirely new story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I prefer reading to audio in general, but I I did really enjoy the performance of the narrator on those first two books. Um, So I don't know... You know, if I if I went back and and read the first two books, you know, that might be a better comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third book, it just had so many characters. Um, it jumps around. Each chapter is a different character. And even by the end of the book, I'm going, who is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, and it really had just, uh, you know, at least the first book, there were a lot of characters, but there was at least a couple of central characters. Yeah, there was sort of a core few. Right. Um, Coming back to. And the second book, and the reason that I liked it the best, was it had a much narrower focus. Right, there was like one main character, really, and then another sort of secondary main character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so for me, the, the first two books allowed a lot more character development than maybe the third book did. Well, I haven't read it yet because I also read the other two on audio and just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, But for those of you that haven't read any of the Wayfarer series, um, it's sort of um, a unique entry in the science fiction world because it is commonly referred to as cozy sci-fi, which is not a very common thing to find (laughs) in sci-fi at all. all. (laughs) You usually find that referred to mysteries. Um, But cozy sci-fi in the sense that it's a lot of character development. It's sort of a Mm -hmm. lighthearted tone. There there isn't this big drama or life-threatening situation happening. No, there isn't a lot of stress that you find in 
most sci-fi, honestly. Um, there's usually an apocalypse or some sort of evil alien race <laughs> coming to attack everyone. But um, there are a lot of people compare the series to the TV series Firefly, which I definitely understood that because the narrator for the first two books um, sounds a lot like one of the characters on Firefly, so it was hard to ignore that for me. Um, and it's more of like a, like the first book's more of a road trip Mm-hmm. And the second book's more of like a exploring identity. It's even like a workplace situation or just living quarters. I don't know. It's it's very low key. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? I do. And one of the things that I really liked about both of the first books is the way that they explored gender and um, well, gender identity um, mm-hmm. in both of the books, um, particularly in the second book where the main character is an AI um, and she has these, she's... She's got a lot to sort through. <laughs> she does. <laughs> a lot to figure out. Um, and so, you know, for me, the books kind of work as a myth or allegory and letting you think about issues that people have um, today, but um, in a different way, in kind of a non-threatening story-like way. Yeah, they give you a little bit of distance, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that I read I, I read more sci-fi than you do, and I think that um, the more successful books or the successful, not successful, but the books that I tend to enjoy more do that, mm-hmm. where they let you have things at a distance to explore them from this, you know, sort of objective away from you perspective. Um, because they are, you know, we're talking about off world, like things that humans haven't experienced or don't know about. It's all made up, right? So you can look at these allegories or myths from a new lens, um, but also have it be set in space, which is cool. Like, that's why we like historical novels and things that, you know, they're dealing with the same issues Mm -hmm. that a lot of us are today. Um, But we don't have to talk about cell phones (laughs) or (laughs) or texting or anything (laughs) like that. You know, it's it's a different framework, I guess. Well, and but I think I think for science, for most science fiction or a lot of it, I guess, you know, a lot of it might deal with kind of abstract ideas like time travel or things like that. And this, to me, compared to some of the other things that I've read, felt a lot more like it was dealing with with human issues, um, yeah. like people issues. Yeah, <laughs> it might be a different species. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think, again, that's why it's you know, in preparing for the episode, I've been trying to find other books that even come close to all of the different aspects of the Wayfarer series that I really enjoy. And it's just like the unicorn series in science fiction. Like there's (laughs) nothing that comes close. You pull out different aspects from other novels and, you know, there's all the other drama and anxiety that you don't have in the Wayfarer series that, um, so they, they kind of fall short in coming close to that coziness that the Wayfarer series does. So, um, Well, I'm curious to hear your first recommendation. Yeah. You wanna well, start us off? First one, yeah, sure. So my first one is a brand new book. It just came out last week. And I think it's probably the one that comes closest to 
um, probably closest to a closed in common orbit. It's a stationary story that happens on a space station. And it, I kind of decided, like, if you like the character of Dr. Chef and learning about the food from <laughs> a long way into a small, angry planet, then you will like the Soul Majestic by Ferret Steinmetz. It shares a lot of characteristics with the Wayfarer series and is another sort of rare feat in science fiction. The Soul Majestic, the place, also the title of the book, but the place is the fanciest and most important of fine dining restaurants in the universe. And each night, the executive chef chooses one person to treat to one of their amazing meals. Our protagonist, Kenna, is the only son of two inevitable philosophers, and as such is their inevitable prince. Their religion was once highly favored in the universe, but they have fallen from favor, and Kenna spends his days scraping by on nutrition bars when he can and starving when he can't. He should be working to uncover his own inevitable philosophy when executive chef Paulius chooses him for the once-in-a-lifetime meal and ends up adopting him into the restaurant. Paulius dreams big and sees great opportunity in Kenna's inevitable philosophy ceremony, which sets them and the restaurant on a path either to financial ruin or incredible wealth. The book is a love letter to extremely fine dining and the work that goes into feeding the diners that just so happen to be set on a space station. Character development is fantastic. The setting and details are clever, but not entirely indecipherable. And I hope to see more like it in the future. Um, one of the things that I think uh, makes this book a little bit more approachable is that I realized just on the way here today, one of the things about sci-fi that can sort of turn a lot of folks away is you know, having to deal with all kinds of different alien peoples. Mm -hmm. And this book, they he, either they're all humans or very few of them are humans and he just doesn't tell you about it. So it, it kind of, like in my mind, they're all humans. Mm -hmm. So you don't even have to deal with that. Um, the weirdness about it comes in the food, which is just like the descriptions of these ridiculous dishes is great. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, Kenna doesn't know anything about food. So he's he's the outsider coming into the situation and um, trying to explain to himself what these different dishes might be and all of the different techniques. You know, how, like, sous vide and um, <laughs> different films. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly one to have dined very finely very often, but um, you know how sometimes... I've been in that situation where it's like, this food is way too fancy for me. <laughs> um, so I've, I've very much identified with Kenna. Um, but anyway, so I, I highly recommend for, especially for folks that aren't necessarily as into sci-fi. Um, I think there's a lot that people can find to like about the Soul Majestic. Um, you might assume that deciding what to pair with the Soul Majestic might be a bit of a challenge. However, the core of the story is submerged in chicken broth. When Kenna is taken up by Polyus, his palate is too unrefined to properly appreciate the elevated cuisine. Polyus ch challenges one of his lowest level cooks to educate Kenna, and chicken broth is a major part of that education. I've only ever made chicken broth by sort of throwing a bunch of aromatics in a pot with a chicken and hoping for the best. But Aunt Renee's chicken soup from Julia Tertian's book, Small Victories, looks like it might be worth the effort of following a recipe. Use the stock to make the full recipe of soup or save it for a use in other dishes. 
So it's interesting to me that your first book focused on food um, because my first book that I wanted to talk about also kind of focused on food. I mean, it wasn't a main component, but it was a pretty integral component. Two of the main characters are um, very involved with food, and one is a chef um, in the future. Anyway, the book is called Here and Now and Then, and it's by Mike Chin. And it was actually recommended on our database novelist as a read-alike for the Wayfair series. So that's why I decided to read it. So time-traveling secret agent Ken Stewart is from the year 2142, but he's been stuck in another time since a botched operation that took him back to 1996 for his employer, the Temporal Corruption Bureau, an agency that polices time travel. While stuck, Ken breaks agency protocol and settles into another life as an IT guy with a wife, Heather, and teenage daughter, Miranda. His wife and daughter have no idea that his blackouts and memory loss are side effects from time travel, instead believing that he suffers from PTSD. Then Ken's rescuer finally shows up, and he's whisked back to 2142 and his girlfriend, Penny. Ken struggles to fit back into his old life. When he makes contact with his daughter through time, he breaks the rules of time travel and unintentionally endangers her. The rest of the book explores how far he will go to save her. Like the Wayfair series, Here and Now and Then hits my sweet spot for world building. There's enough to make me feel like I'm in another world, but there's not so much that it makes my eyes start to glaze over at lists of unfamiliar place or spaceship names. <laughs> and this uh, kind of like the, um, what's it called? The, the Soul Majestic. The Soul Majestic. Um, it also focuses just on humans, and it's actually, there, it's not actually in space, um, it's just in the future, and there's time travel. I think that counts. So it's sci-fi with a strong focus on character development, like the Wayfarer series. Although the story does contain a more developed plot than the books in the Wayfarer series, and even some suspense, the relationships between Ken and the women in his life are the most important elements of the book. And one of the most enjoyable things about time travel books is imagining what the future will be like, including our food. I appreciated Here and Now and Then's lighthearted approach in this respect. In 2142, fast food is illegal, and Ken and Penny can only eat an approximation of it at the Museum of the Modern Era exhibit, Eating in the Time of Fast Food! <laughs> Exclamation point. <laughs> While visiting the exhibit, the smell of fried chicken gives Ken a flashback to his other life. Quote, the museum, the guests, even Penny disappeared in a flash. Instead, he stood in a fried chicken chain somewhere in the middle of Nevada, he Heather at his side. While it's true that eating lots of fried chicken is not that great for you, let's hope it never gets outlawed. But just in case, you might want to visit your favorite chicken shack while you're reading this book. Alright, so my next book is Ascension by Jacqueline Koyanaki, which follows Alana Quick after she stows away on a ship that is trying to find her sister. 
Well, I guess the crew is trying to find her sister, not necessarily the ship. Um, but this book compares or goes along with the Wayfarer series. I, I sort of think if you like the character of Lovelace from Wayfarer, you'll probably be into this book. Um, it's it's a little bit more straightforward of a dramatic event sci-fi caper. But anyway, Alana is a sky surgeon, sort of an engineer, and she's constantly battling with her chronic illness and the alternate universe company that makes the medication that keeps her symptoms at a manageable level. Uh, once the captain of the ship that she's stowed away on, the Tangled Axon, once the captain decides Alana is worth keeping around for leverage in their search for Alana's sister, the crew spends the transit time getting to know Alana while she tries to make herself useful. Ascension is, like I said, a bit more dramatic than a long way to a small angry planet, but we still get to spend time with the characters and the world in between the big plot points, which helps give the book some depth. There's a lot to like about this book from its inclusive roster of characters to its exploration of polyamory to the way that Alana builds relationships with the crew and the ship itself. I will say that maybe stay distracted by those great relationships and don't pay too close attention to the plot because it's a little holy and a little underdeveloped in some spots. In the end, I didn't really mind all that much because the characters were pretty engrossing. But if you're a stickler for that kind of thing, consider yourself warned. I know plenty of people that just cannot abide plot holes and mm-hmm. <laughs> like unexplained jumps between things. So I understand. But if you can overlook it, you might enjoy this book. The crew of the Tangled Axon eats much like Kenna before he enters the fold of the Soul Majestic and they subsist on nutrient bars that come in one gross flavor or another. If you'd like to make your own nutrient bar that comes with a little bit more flavor, try the banana chocolate quinoa bars from the School Year Survival Cookbook by Laura Keough and Carrie Marsh. The book shows the bars drizzled with chocolate, so I don't think they would last long in my house. My last two books focus more on the the broader theme of universe of stories rather than um, being read-alikes for um, the Wayfarer series because there's only so much sci-fi I can I can read at a time. So um, this book is called Rocket Boys by Homer Hickam, and it's a memoir that has been on my reading list for a very long time mainly because of my family's connection to McDowell County, West Virginia, which is where the book takes place. Um, My father was born in McDowell County, as were other family members going back to at least my great-great-grandparents. Rocket Boys opens in 1957, the year of the Sputnik launch. Homer is an aimless 14-year-old boy living in the shadow of his athlete brother, Jim. With some prodding by his mother, who wants both her children to escape the dangers that their mining superintendent father experiences, Homer forms a rocket club with some of his classmates. Although the people of Colwood laugh at the boys' early failures, eventually the rocket boys become the pride of the community. 
Hickam has a very straightforward narrative style and presents a descriptive portrait of what it was like to grow up in small-town West Virginia in the late 1950s and early 1960s, a time when many Appalachians, including my father's family, were leaving the area. I found myself thinking of my family often while reading Rocket Boys. It made their experiences come alive for me, especially my grandfathers who worked in the mines. And if you are at all familiar with Southern West Virginia accents, then I strongly suggest you stick to the print book for this one. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Other than when the audiobook's narrator pronounced the words that were spelled phonetically, his accents were pretty terrible. Oh, that's a shame. Um, I ended up switching to the physical book when I just couldn't stand it anymore. You know, when you're yelling at the audiobook. Yeah, that's not good. (laughs) It's it's time to go to print. Since many of the characters in Rocket Boys survive on beans and cornbread, I return to a book I've talked about before on Books and Bites, Vittles by Ronnie Lundy. Lundy. Lundy says that, quote, if a mountain person says they want a bowl of soup beans, you know they are talking about meaty, rich pentos, unquote. I made the meatless version using olive oil and smoked paprika in place of the salt pork and adding the optional peanut butter, an addition that was new to me and barely detectable. I think I'd probably add a little more next time because I really didn't know it was there. Interesting. (laughs) But yeah, it was interesting. And since I was feeling a little lazy, I made polenta instead of cornbread and spooned the beans broth and sauteed collards on top. It was the perfect meal for a rainy day and the perfect accompaniment to this comforting read. That sounds great. All right, so if the Wayfarer series looks at a bunch of different alien species and my first two books focus almost entirely on humans, uh, this My next book sort of falls in between. Uh, That is Dawn by Octavia Butler, which is the first book in her Xenogenesis trilogy. The premise of the book is that nuclear war broke out on Earth when the USSR was still a thing. And while most of humanity was destroyed in the war, the alien race, the Oankali, were able to rescue a handful of humans and keep them on the Oankali ship while they rehabilitated the planet. After a 250-year-long process of testing and learning, the Oankali are ready to begin repopulating the planet. But first, they have to get the humans used to working both with them and among themselves. Our protagonist is Lilith, a human who is eventually convinced to join the Oankali in their efforts, and is chosen to lead the first group of humans through the training before being returned to Earth. Part of the deal, however, is that the Oankali genetically merge with the people they rescue. And that brings up a whole host of questions and issues for Lilith and the other humans in the book. It's a fascinating book about humanity, human nature, gender and sexuality, consent, imprisonment, and so many other things that make this short novel really difficult to sum up. Um, Octavia Butler is one of the great science fiction authors, and she was a black woman working in the 70s and 80s, so she has a perspective that is just so very different from most science fiction authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so her works are 
are different in a really, really great way. Um, so if you've never read any of her stuff or maybe have only read Kindred, which a lot of people have, have read or run into, um, be sure to take a look at either this one or her other novels. They're just wonderfully complex and beautifully written, and they definitely hit upon what you were saying about, you know, human problems, people mm -hmm. problems, um, because so much of the tension in the book is between Lilith understanding these aliens that are really, really hard to look at at first, but, she, you know, she gets used to them, and, like, that's a big focus of it, and then having to work with other humans and help them get used to this alien race as well. So it's, it's, and then also the interpersonal troubles that you, as you can imagine would come along with any sort of traumatized group of people. Um, so it's, there's a lot, there's a lot in there and, um, it's not a cozy read, definitely not a cozy read, but it is, it definitely hits on that human problems, examining ourselves and our human nature. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, unfortunately, the food that Lilith and the other humans eat in Dawn, maybe not unfortunately. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, it's very, <laughs> fairly simple. <laughs> uh, so I would recommend cobbling together a little picnic of finger foods like berries, roasted nuts, olives, maybe some smoked fish. Enjoy your picnic in a shady spot on a sunny day, reveling in the miracle that we as a species get anything accomplished at all. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> So I'm actually managing to sneak in a book of poetry. Wow, I'm impressed. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it is called Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith. Life on Mars is a Pulitzer Prize winning book of poetry by current U.S. Poet Laureate Tracy K. Smith. I actually read my own copy because we don't have this in print, but we do have it as an audiobook that's available on RB Digital. It's read by the author, and if you've ever listened to Smith's poetry podcast, The Slowdown, then you know that she has a wonderful reading voice. My favorite poems in the book are about space and the death of Smith's father, who was an engineer on the Hubble Space Telescope. 2001 Space Odyssey, Charlton Heston, and David Bowie all make appearances in the book's imaginative and wry first section. Quote, but I'll bet he burns bright. Smith writes of Bowie, dragging a tail of white-hot matter, the way some of us track tissue back from the toilet stall, unquote. The subject matter of later poems ranges from the political to the personal, and one of my favorites, When Your Small Form Tumbled Into Me, Smith imagines the moment of her child's conception, asking, quote, from what dream of world did you wriggle free, unquote. Another poem is titled Eggs Norwegian, and though it only mentions them in the lines, quote, even you want nothing more than a plate of eggs at some sidewalk cafe, unquote, it's enough to make you want them too. According to blogger Reed Drummond of the Pioneer Woman, Eggs Norwegian is just Eggs Benedict with smoked salmon instead of bacon, which sounds completely decadent, even if, like me, you have to substitute vegan margarine for butter. We'll link to the recipe on our blog.
Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We produce this podcast in the recording studio at the Jesmond County Public Library. You can find out more about the library and our recording studio on our website at jespublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website at doorforadesk.com.